You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to the 1980s movie Graveyard, the show that lets forgotten movies have one last chance to shine. Now sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. Hello, all you holiday retro movie lovers. It's good to be talking to you once again for the 2016 holiday special. Today is Christmas Eve. It's, well, in a couple hours here when the sun goes down, it's going to be the beginning of Hanukkah. And two days from now will be the beginning of Kwanzaa as well. So pretty much no matter what you're celebrating, you're probably celebrating something right about now. And, uh, you know, in order to kind of send this year off, you know, properly, we wanted to do a nice holiday special. And uh, I'm very lucky, very blessed to uh, be here talking to one of the guys who really helped keep this thing rolling right along in 2016. I'm joined by the one, the only, Trev3K. Trev, what's going on, man? How you been? Hey, how's it going, man? I was going to say, if nothing else, people are celebrating days off from work. But <laughs> yeah. then I was reminded, there's certain jobs that just don't even get that. And exactly. uh, apparently, grave digging is one of them. So we exactly. are here. We are here. <laughs> but come on, like, like I'm not too harsh. Like, like, like I'll, you know, I'll let you go home early today since oh, it's thanks. Christmas Eve. That's- you know, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll let you go at ten thirty at night instead of uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, I got that little that yeah. little crippled boy at home waiting for me. Exactly. You want to let him? <laughs> <laughs> I'll even give you plenty of time. I'll, I'll tell you what. You can put on your raggedy Santa outfit here before you drive no, home. <laughs> you don't have to do it like in the cold in the alleyway next to your house before you go in there. But yeah, man, like, wow, what a what a year, what a crazy year. Uh, yeah. To, did a lot of did a lot of this is this is our first believe it or not this is our first show since the big Halloween special so we kind of just became like almost like a special you know fucking like what do you call it you know limited time uh, throughout the year kind of like um, mm-hmm. kind of like how they used to have like those old performers come out like four times a year and do like special shows like network shows they don't really do that anymore but holiday specials and. You know, just weird shit like that. That's kind of what we morphed into here. Like, sort of like the Bob Hope of podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Bob Hope. We're just here killing time so that we can jam some advertisements <laughs> in there. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's good to be here. It's good to send this year off with a bang. And, uh, you know, basically the main topic, the main meat of our show tonight <coughs> will be our favorite uh, Christmas, uh, well, not a Christmas, holiday films. It's not just all about Christmas here. Although I think probably my three do celebrate Christmas, but we'll see that. Uh, and we'll also throw in a curveball with, uh, we'll discuss a movie, that a holiday movie from the 80s that we wanted to see, but we never did. But first <laughs> of all, remember Lionsgate? Trev had that great ad campaign. Uh, <laughs> if it's Halloween, it must be Saw. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Disney definitely took a, a you know... Uh, a look at their playbook because as we all know from now on till the to the day we pass away if it's if it's christmas or the holiday season it must be star wars ain't that right that's right man from now and every christmas until we die man exactly. and even beyond that, even I mean, beyond this is that. E- yeah when this our, is eternity now when man. our grandchildren pass away <laughs> there will be new star wars in production and whatnot so i just want to take a second 
I have not seen the film yet. Um, it came out last week, December 16th, I, I believe. I have not had a chance to see the film Star Wars uh, Rogue One. Or actually, it's just Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Yeah. I kind of liked it better early on when they were calling it like an, a Star Wars anthology film or something like that. But yeah, I always like either a Star Wars anthology or a Star, a Star Wars tale just sounds better to me, too. It seems like it uh, yeah. has a classier... Uh, sound than a Star Wars story. It just sounds like so it's, conversational and bland. But to be really fair, bad. though, when you see the movie, the title screen only says Rogue One. It doesn't that's say anything great. else. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it I was even down for. You know, a lot of people were saying it shouldn't have an opening crawl because it's yeah. not. Well, it doesn't. No, yeah, I know, I know it doesn't. But but I was willing to accept it because I don't know if you ever got into them over the years. But I played a lot of these Star Wars video games. And, like, they would kind of come up with the opening crawl that, you know, what the backstory of the video game was. So, like, I would, you know, obviously it wouldn't say episode whatever, but if it just start, said Star Wars Rogue One and then it had a crawl, yeah. I'd have been fine with that, too. Yeah, but. it's actually kind of jarring because it does have the blue um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, really? far away. And when you see that, just mentally, you instantly prepare yourself for that that Bing! blast of John yeah. Williams music and the logo. And instead, it just goes right from that to, like, a, a shot of, like, a space field. And you're like, oh, that's, that's strange, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, but it, like, just for, I mean, I, the, like, even though I haven't seen the movie, like, I know all, you know all the spoilers and whatnot because that's what I do in the air. They get so the Death Star plans. Yeah, they do. Get the Death Star. We won't spoil anything else for you, but um, but no, like, it seemed like to me from like it seemed like from some of the comments that they weren't sure till the very end or close to the end, I should say, that whether they want to have a crawl or not. Mm-hmm. And it seems probably more like it was just the narrative, like of how they wanted to open the movie and how they wanted. Well, to... I thought it was funny because I, I read an interview with Garth Edwards where he said that if they are Gareth Edwards, sorry, um, where they, he said if they did a crawl, it, you'd be at risk of almost creating another movie, which mm-hmm. is kind of a funny thing because this movie is just an adaptation of the first paragraph of the episode four crawl, obviously. Yeah. So you can just keep going and keep on creating your own spinoffs, I guess, but these crawls, but. Yeah, I, I didn't have time to do a proper marathon or anything to prepare for this film, but I was like just throwing in the movies, and um, I watched the beginning of uh, uh, New Hope last night, and I really just want to see the, like the, the stormtroopers kind of like bust in to the uh, ship and shoot everybody, and see kind of how they compare to the uh, the ones that are in all the Rogue One trailers and whatnot. And yeah, you're right that that opening crawl, the beginning of the opening crawl, is like you could just cut and paste that into like all the newspaper reviews of Rogue One as being the plot synopsis. Well, it's cool because, I mean, you know, uh, my friends and I have an annual uh, event that we call Blue Harvest Fest where we right. watch all the Star Wars films, um, including, the, including the holiday special and some other ancillary uh, BS. But uh, Speaking of holiday year, special, that's another holiday our, our listeners yeah, could be yeah. celebrating. It could be celebrating Life Day, Life Day right now, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so this year we changed it up a little. We usually do it the day after uh, Black Friday, but this year we we waited and did it on uh, the Saturday of the Rogue One release, so that we actually nice. paused the event halfway through and went to the theater to see Rogue One. Oh, that's awesome! And and we lined it up so that we saw Rogue One and then came back to the uh, place and went right into New Hope. And I'll tell you, it worked pretty perfectly. Um, so I, I think you will have a lot of people wanting to watch New Hope directly after, just because of how, you know, how clever. I don't know, not clever, I guess, because it's obvious, but how uh, well of a job they did lining up those two movies to where one runs right into the other. Yeah, I, I wanted to do exactly what you guys did. Not not literally a marathon, but just kind of, you know, one night watch one, one night watch another, and then go. But my girlfriend's afraid of, by the time we do that, it, it being in, like, the fucking whatever broom closet theater. So we might run out to go see it, and maybe I'll whatever. 
but uh but yeah so just spoiler free what what was your reaction because because i remember a year ago everybody was skeptical of doing this uh it it is prequel i know they don't want to use that word but it's a prequel yeah 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 it's a prequel and and honestly man I'm going to be the first to admit, like, I was definitely skeptical. And even after seeing it, I'm going to say it's it's certainly not a movie we needed uh, in any sense. You know, it's just it's it's not like we ever were watching the original trilogy and be like, I just can't get behind this because I don't know how they got those plans. You know, so it's not a necessary film, but um, I enjoyed it. I, I did like it. Um, I'm not one of those people that's like going like ape shit about it and saying it's the best since empire and, and declaring it like, Oh, this is everything force awakens. Wasn't, you know, and I, I, as you know, I like force awakens. I liked this. I think they're both flawed films, but both enjoyable. Um, and kind of, I think they're kind of two sides of the same coin. And then I think, so now with a year, you know, retrospect, we can look at force awakens and I guess you saw this early on, but you know, everyone else is now going like, Oh yeah, it was just, you know, a new hope remade, obviously. But what propelled it along for me was that, yeah, it was just a new hope retread, but it had a lot of fun, new characters and it had the old favorite characters you wanted to see again. This is probably a, like a more effective story movie um, in terms of like the structure and things like that. But it's it doesn't really have great characters. And I think that's its biggest downfall. And I think as time passes and the initial excitement about the film kind of wears off, I think people will say like, yeah, it's good. But they'll temper it a little bit of saying like, oh, but there's nobody that's iconic in it. Um, and so that's the only thing kind of holding it back for me. But I did like it. I'm I'm. I'm actually going to really interested to hear your reaction goat because I know you're actually you it seems like you're looking forward to this one a little more than you were Force Awakens. Oh, big but, big time. I mean, well, but I also know like here's here's my take though. This one to me is arguably more like nostalgia baiting and fan servicey than Force Awakens was. Really? Even that, more. <laughs> oh yeah, because I think you know with Force Awakens you got you know, Kylo Ren and Maz Kanata, and then you did get new stuff, right? This mm-hmm. one, there's nothing shown to you or offered to you that's new. This one is nothing but trading in on Star Wars imagery that they know you're going to respond to. So it's right. it's a lot of, hey, look, here's TIE Fighters again. Hey, here's X-Wings. Hey, here's Darth Vader. It's 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 all just clear, like, it's fan fiction, you know? Oh, exactly. And, and like, the, the thing is, is, like, like I hate Force Awakens as a movie. Like, as a movie, like, like considering, like, the choices J.J. Abrams made directorially and all this. But, like, I don't hate the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, like I like the Finn character. I like the Poe character. Um, I have some problems with kind of the way Rey is handled, like, whatever yeah. she just does. But I like Daisy Ridley, so, like, I'm not, right. like... And, like, Kylo Ren, like, I didn't... Like, I'm not head over heels for the guy, Um you know, whatever the way a lot of people are, but like, I'm really interested to see where his character is going to go. Um, I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't dig the whole JJ Abrams mystery box shit. Like, I don't care who raised parents. I don't care. Like, I care about like how the story is going to go forward and like, you know, and, uh, I'm really hoping episode eight is not like a retread of empire strikes right, back. Yeah. And, and it gets, no, that would be the worst movie. because yeah. I think even though, so I like, Spikes and I like Rogue One, but I think that's cool. Like the two movies out of the gate, I get it. Like Disney wanted to like, plant their flag in and right. say look this is star wars again star wars is back 
after these two, I think you definitely now need to move away from this nostalgia thing, which, and I, you know, obviously the shame of it is that we have a Han Solo prequel coming, oh, which is, that's you know, the worst. I think that's yeah, that I have, I couldn't care less about that, but, but I, I can, I can accept these first two and now I'm ready to kind of say, okay, now start showing us something new. Um, but that said, I think rogue one works in, in the sense of, it is undeniably exciting to see a different kind of subgenre film finally in this universe, you know, and this is very much a, a military men on a mission kind of film. All the combat sequences are kind of filmed to more ground level. It definitely has more of a war film feel to it. And it's just, you know, I, hey, call me simplistic or whatever, but it is just kind of cool to see that put in t- in, into the iconography that you grew up loving. So I, I enjoyed it in that aspect. And there were certainly moments that I, I'll admit I fanboy marked out for. But in general, I still don't think this is as good as um, any of the initial, uh, you know, episode four or five or six. Um, and so it's probably middle of the pack for me still, but I, I did like it. Yeah, I mean, I'm really I'm really interested in these um, these prequels that they can do that are one off, you know, quote unquote prequels. Um, like you said, like, you know, they're like. I get where everybody was coming from when when Rogue One was first announced, saying like, "Oh, we don't need to see this. We don't need to see it." But it is very important in Star Wars history because if you look at the Episode Four crawl, it talks about the battle in which the um, the plans mm-hmm. were stolen, yep. and, it, and it says this is the first victory the rebellions yep. had, like like ever, ever. And it's sold that way here too. I mean, you definitely you see that and get a sense of it. And it's yeah, and it's kind of like you have you have to kind of put everything into a timeline perspective. And I know it's hard because these movies don't really spell it out for you. But if but but if you look from the end of Revenge of the Sith, which is where the Empire is, you know, um, established or whatnot, you know, Luke and Leia are babies, and then they're about eighteen, nineteen years old in A New Hope. So literally for eighteen years, the Empire did whatever it wanted to do, which pretty much they just. Commit genocides on different planets on a day. Like to me, like I get what we're saying. If you're a casual fan and you're just you only care about the episode story arcs, but I feel like if you're like an overall Star Wars fan, even though it kind of is fan fiction at this point, like I think it's kind of worthwhile making a movie about the first time the rebellion actually ever fucking kind of did anything. You know, and and it's nice too because like you just said, whether you need it or not, the one nice thing it does do is it does put a face to you know Mm -hmm. this idea of getting the plans and and gives us a you know there's an additional pathos there understanding how important those plans are and now when you watch New Hope you'll have a sense of you know the sacrifice it cost to get those plans which is you know never a bad thing well i mean literally these plans uh the first time we see them the first time you know chronologically the first time we see the idea of the intro- of the uh, death star introduced and it's going to be built is actually even episode 2 Mm-hmm. Like episode three, Revenge of the Sith, everybody remembers it ends with Vader and them like looking at it kind of starting to be built. But like those little like, I don't know what they are, the little, the little bug creature guys. Like, yeah. they, they talk about like when all the clothes come at end of part two, like we got to get this shit out of here. If they find this, they're going to know what we're up to. So, I mean, like, you know, like, and I mean, that kind of sucks that the Death Star was in what, four, six and seven. Like it kind of got played into the ground and now it's back in Rogue One. But, like, to me, the whole Death Star plans, and I always saw it this way when people were complaining about the movie shouldn't be made and all that, Rogue One shouldn't be made. Okay, the plans, I mean, they are very important to the storyline. and Like, the whole overall arc of Star Wars, they're important. But but, but that's kind of the skeleton that you can then hang this in. Because, like, we can kind of see in a way, and, and, like, 
I know there's like a hard line in between the prequels and the original trilogy of the original trilogy, you know, everything is already established. You can just jump into a good versus evil. But like, I really like how the prequels really dug down into like why all this shit started. And like, that's what I like with these little movies like Rogue One is we can kind of get a little more breathing room to see kind of like, what is the Empire really like? Like, we've only followed, you know, Darth Vader and the Emperor. Like, those are the guys that are very high up, whatever. Like, we don't really see, like, yeah, we see when, you know, they attack, uh, you know, uh, Princess Leia's blockade runner. And we see when they do this. But, like, we don't really, in the original trilogy, I don't think, we don't really get a full idea of what the Empire really is and what it's doing, like, throughout all the galaxies and shit. And I think that's where movies like Rogue One, besides just being good popcorn entertainment, they can kind of fill in those gaps, you know what I mean? And, and well, and even, like, on a, on a, like a, another gap kind of thing, and again, this is the kind of thing where you, you don't even think about it as a gap until you watch Rogue One and you go, right. oh, you know what, I, I wouldn't have thought of that, is that I don't know how many people have ever watched New Hope and wondered, God, how could they possibly design this whole thing and have that right. kind of very specific flaw, right, where you right. can shoot into this one ventilation shaft and it blows the entire place up. And it's kind of – and I didn't even think I, – it wasn't saying I went into Rogue One expecting to have answered, but it is answered. And you're like right. – and actually I think – I won't spoil it here, but the the answer they give to that question is maybe my favorite thing about Rogue One, the fact that they put some thought into that and you find out why that flaw exists and it actually is this really cool story idea. And you're like, oh, OK. Well, to me, the movie was almost worth it just for that. So, yeah, it is cool to have, like, little things like that filled in for sure. Um, now, like we just said, little things. I don't need Han Solo as a kid running around or anything like that. But I would like to see more of these kind of smaller ancillary stories that don't have any of our main characters. That's, I think, the key, you the, know, to give us these, these these other stories with other faces of the universe that we might never see again. Right. And, and you know, like, like that's one thing I've, you know, I've, I've read a lot of articles uh, last few days in, like, a lot of people are saying, like, well, we 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 seen the other movies. Like these characters don't matter. They don't matter. They're never back in other movies. They they're not, you know. And like I would say, like, like in a way, those new characters that you know, like, aren't the main characters of the original trilogy, you know. Like, that's actually what got me excited about this movie. Like, Well, that's what makes it a universe. I mean, it's not a right. universe unless if you're only following one family. It's a universe once you're willing to step back and say, hey, there's other crap going on out there that the Skywalkers have nothing to do with. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I want to – like, like the number one thing that has me interested about this movie is, uh, you know, basically Krennic. I'm like, okay, I want to see – like what a you know, imperial officer guy is like doing, and uh, you know that that's not Darth Vader, that's not the Emperor. It's not like he he actually has to like operate within the infrastructure of the Empire and get shit done. Like like I was sold right there when like they kind of started like showing that side of it. You know what I mean? <coughs> yeah, and Krennic is a is a very interesting villain. Uh, the the way they decided to play him. Like again, I don't want to say too much for no, yeah, the ten, the ten people haven't seen it, but. I know everything, but I, I just know a lot of people, mainly because it's the holiday season time. I just don't want to say anything because I know a lot of people are too busy. I'll, to, I'll just know. say it, it's not a spoiler, but I'll just say it, it's it, again, I, I, and I like this kind of stuff. It's cool when the main villain in your big, you know, huge franchise blockbuster is just kind of a sniveling bureaucrat. Right. You know, I think that's an interesting take and it, and it fits into this idea of if the, if the empire is something that exists, of mm. course it has to have people like Krennic, these kind oh, of yeah. like, it management you know, level people. Like all the guys man. that Darth Vader chokes every day. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I always, you know, and like that's what I'm saying. Like, 
I'm very interested in these stories that we can tell that are like, you know, kind of just filling in the blanks to like whatever. Because, like, I, you know, and you know this, Trev, like, one of the reasons why I was so damn hard on Force Awakens, I'm like, okay, this is great. Like, you go to the theater right now and you see it and everybody high fives and all this stuff. But the main issues I had with that film was. How is this going to replay? You know, how is this going to play when you're doing the marathon? Like all I care about is the marathon and the continuity and the, the franchise. Because like I, I never really watch these movies on a one-off. Like I'm like, you know what? I feel like watching Star Wars, and then over the course of a month or maybe two months, like every weekend, I'll watch one of them. You know, and I keep it going. Like I, it really like you know, it really is important to me watching them in order like that. Yeah, it's a, that's an interesting point. I think it's a franchise that's kind of forced itself into that kind of where it, it definitely has this episodic feel. I can't imagine anyone being like, you know, what movie I like to watch is episode two, right? And then and then I'm done. It's like, no, of course not. Why why would anybody do that? Like like I know everybody says that Empire Strikes Back is their favorite Star Wars movie and all that, but like I couldn't imagine just like on a Saturday night like just cold being like. You know, I kind of want to watch a movie. Oh, I'll watch Empire Strikes Back. Like, I, I know there's probably tons of people who do that, but I can't do that as a Star Wars fan. Because, like, once I start, like, watching one of those movies, I'm thinking about everything that happened in 4 and everything is about to happen in Return of the Jedi. Like, I just, you know, I can't turn my brain off. Uh, mm-hmm. one, one thing I um, I find very interesting, and I kind of wanted to get your take on this, is um, is with, with the whole kind of Star Wars phenomenon... <coughs> Like, one of the main criticisms, and I'm still reading articles, you know, today, uh, is the the episodes one through three, a.k.a. the prequel trilogy, the overuse of CGI and bad CGI and primitive CGI. And then, like, you know, kind, kind, you know I don't want to say anything to spoil anything, but I know there's some people who, are, like, are really offended by the use of some CGI in Rogue One. And recently, like, I I bought it a couple months ago. I popped in my Captain America Civil War uh, Blu-ray. And I was watching it and watching it again in high def and stuff like that. Like, I was really kind of shocked how bad some of the character CGI. And, like, it looked wonky in the theater. But really seeing it, like, even some of the stuff Captain America was doing and the Winter Soldier were doing, like, it looked really bad and rushed. And, you know, in, in in the context of the movie compared to, like, what they had done in other Captain America movies and whatnot. And I was just curious, kind of, what's your, what's your take on why do you think people are so critical, I'll say, of CGI in the Star Wars franchise when they're not as critical? You know, and I know some people have, you know, said, you know, black, black, you uh, Black Panther looked a little weird or whatever, but like I thought Spider Man looked awful in Civil War when I rewatched it. I was like, God, this animation's horrible. And like, but there wasn't like that outcry the way there was for Star Wars and now a little bit with Rogue One. Like, what do you think? What do you think it is particular about the Star Wars franchise that really gets people critical about that? You know what? I'll say it in a way that I think will almost act as a compliment towards Star Wars. And I think it's that people even younger people who didn't necessarily grow up with it but people who get into it now and kind of go back and and become these hardcore star wars fans i think everyone gets ingrained with this like romantic notion of the practicality of the initial movie um and or at least the the initial trilogy right and you go and watch those the behind the scenes footage of them making the models and having the, the death stars this actual model and you know the stop motion animation return of the jedi and and i i think I, I just think what happened with the prequels in particular is is that see I'm not 
I'm very forgiving of of bad CGI in, in films sometimes because you have to go like, well, that's where CGI was at that point. And it's not the fact that the prequels used a lot of bad CGI. It's the fact that by two and th- by episodes two and three, Lucas moved into that where everything was green screen, and he just had his actors on these completely green screen sets. And I think there's a level of like where you can just, I do think that affects performance. And I think you can just get a sense that when everything feels artificial, nothing feels real. You don't feel like the actors are actually in any kind of danger. Um, you don't feel like they're really responding to anything. I think that's what the response to the prequels were. Now with Rogue One. The only real CGI complaints I've seen have to do with <laughs> two characters in particular, one being a de-aged character right. and one being um, an actor who arguably um, had to be in the movie, but arguably probably shouldn't have been in the movie. <laughs> so and it's and it's a uh, you know, that's there's a whole other moral argument about that one, but also just the idea that they're not quite there yet with the technology to make an actor you know and there's definitely suddenly in all these scenes you feel like you're watching a a, pl- a playstation 4 you know cutscene character interacting with the other actual humans so it's yeah. it's rough but you know that again in those instances just like when you watch old harryhausen films and you you know they don't they have this antiquated charm now but that's that's what it is i mean every time you see something like that it's it's what ilm can do at the moment you know they're working at this and we're just seeing it go step by step yeah, I, I forgot about Force Awakens. That was another one where I saw a lot of people who, like, over the moon loved the movie. And their only two complaints were Maz Kanata and Snoke, that it pulled mm-hmm. them out of the movie. And, like, I mean, like, you know me. Like, like, like I love practical effects and all that. And uh, I don't have a problem, really, with the prequels. Like, there is a lot of stuff that looks bad, to be honest with you. But, like you said, like, I just, like, I mean, okay, I know Lo- I know Lucas... I know he probably jerks off over technology more than he does the artistic, like, whatever. And, like, you can see the shit getting, like, like the droids from Phantom Menace look like pure cartoon. And by the time they get the Revenge of the Sith, they look pretty good. But then, like, then you get all the clone troopers who, they look way better in 3 than they do in 2. And it was just evolution of technology. And I get that. I think the biggest headache for me of the prequel trilogy is the, is the final act of episode two. Well, especially in that arena right. when it's just everything is so clearly a cartoon. Um, and there's that great gif online of all the Jedi actors the just waving these yeah. sticks around. Yeah. Yeah. I really, uh, it's kind of funny because if you watch that part you're talking about, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's somewhat of a mix of, um, uh, you know, it's pretty much a virtual soundstage, but you have real people kind of on a virtual soundstage, and it kind of, you know, you can see what's what's real and what's computer. I actually like the part right after that where they just go straight to the battlefield and everything's computer, even though it's obvious CGI. It kind of it kind of comes off to me as more artistic because it kind of comes off kind of like the sections of Avatar, which are like all completely CGI. Mm-hmm. The parts of those, so like. It's like in a weird way, I'm starting to come to come around to the thing of like, even though I don't like CGI, I kind of feel like if you're going to do it, either go all the way, but like, you know, it, it, it in a way it kind of comes off hinkier when you have half real, half CGI than if yeah, you just but go I mean, all CGI. I mean, you're at this point, anyone who thinks like new Star Wars movies aren't going to have CGI in them are, are crazy. Right. I mean, of course, the only way to go now is a, is a mix. It's going to be, a, a, of course. 
there's always going to be a mix of practical and CGI. And honestly, it's going to lean more towards CGI nowadays. It's just the way it is. And it's it's the market and it's how, you know, where the money is. And sorry, that's just you. people have to accept it. It's just the method of protection because when yeah. I was watching all the Civil War special features, one thing I will give them credit on is, um, you know, the actual airport. I figure, well, like they just shot the majority of this at an airport and the end of uh, the original Avengers movie is kind of the same. It's like, no, it's like they they brought in a couple airport vehicles and sat them on a big green screen stage. And like as hinky as some of the, the characters look while they're fighting, I will say when I watch it, like I never noticed that the background during that whole Civil War part uh, yeah. is, is fake, you know? To me, the most impressive stuff ever with CGI is the stuff you don't notice and don't think is CGI. Um, There's a great video online years ago about all the CGI in the film Zodiac. And right. you're like, wait, Zodiac? No, that doesn't have any CGI. And then you realize, oh, no, it has tons because it they had to make the cities look period-specific. And right. it's like, you know, and you don't you don't watch the film at all and think about that. But Exactly. But no, like, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, Force Awakens was just... A movie I, I feel like I didn't really enjoy because of the director and his style and kind of what he does with films. You know, mm-hmm. like I also didn't like Super 8 and it w- wasn't because the concept was bad and it wasn't because the actors are bad. It's just I just didn't like, you know, J.J. style pretty much. But um, I'm totally down with this idea of filling the gaps. Like, I'm, to me, there's no unnecessary Star Wars. I want as much Star Wars as I can handle. <laughs> like, shove it down my fucking throat. But I will say, like we were saying before... I like prequels like Rogue One, you know, the concept of prequels like Rogue One that can fill in gaps of the history of the war and the story. The young Han Solo movie, I just, I really, I'm dreading that because, okay, A, I don't want to see anyone be Han Solo except Harrison Ford. That's that's a big thing. But B, it's like, I don't, I do care about the characters. I'm not trying to make it sound like, oh, I don't give a shit about any of these characters, but it's like, I want to see what they do in the overall concept of the universe and the overall, you know, galactic civil war. Like, I really don't care what Han and Chewie were doing for fun or to make a living. I don't either. I'll I'll tell you another thing, and maybe this sounds silly, maybe I'm overthinking it, but on a storytelling level, I feel like it really undercuts the tragedy of losing that character in Force Awakens to just two years later be like, oh, by the way, here's a whole movie with him. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, but wait, aren't we supposed to be like feeling grief for this character and sitting in his and like, you know, still sitting in the loss and then to say, well, hey, here's two and a half more hours of him, even like a younger version. It's still just like, well, okay, I guess the the death doesn't matter that much then. Yeah. Another thing, too, this kind of segues into my next thing i was gonna bring up another thing too is um and again i'm sorry this is star wars world but i feel like probably they, it is a star wars world we're all just living in it exa- well not only that but it's i think it's very you know on the mind of people our age people anybody you know it's like new hope came out 77 but empire and jedi like those were like you know probably, 80s movies yeah probably until well, back to the future came along in like 85 like those were the just the biggest fucking things in the 80s in terms of movies but um i was reading an article it was in, i found it interesting it's from uh gq actually um and the writer was saying disney's kind of making a mistake you know, if they're going to just keep, you know, because it was mentioning kind of the chronology of the films that they're making and the side whatever spinoffs they're making. And they're saying, like, they're kind of making a mistake and narrowing down the universe by, you know, if they're going to continue this path of, like, not really referencing the prequels at all. 
And and the writer was saying, and, and I know it's because he was saying, like, I know it's because you know everybody hates prequel the prequels, and that's why they won't call Rogue One a prequel and all this kind of stuff. They don't want to bring up bad connotations, but I thought it was interesting that he kind of made the point that if they keep narrowing this down to just being about the Skywalkers or just being about people like Han Solo, people we already know, and just kind of fetishizing the original trilogy. Like, it's just going to lead it to, like, such a narrow storytelling path. And what he was saying was, even though he didn't like the prequel movies as movies, he was saying they, you know, they had interesting concepts in them. And, like, you know, the kind of, like, the concepts and the themes should be explored more in the, you know, the ongoing movies. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, because I know you're well, not a fan not, of Maybe not midichlorians. Um, no, not, not, not no here's what I'll say. And I don't know if you are aware of this goat, so I'm going to kind of tiptoe around it because I'm guessing you do. But just in case you don't, um, one thing I'll dispute with that article is that there's actually something they do in Rogue One that very much acknowledges the prequels um, in terms of a certain in a, a certain casting. Right. Uh, and I actually thought that was really cool. Now, as someone who does not, I'm not a huge fan of the prequels, as you said. I do like Episode Three. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an Episode Three fan. It's really one and two I have a problem with. Um, but I actually thought it was cool that they did allow this person from the prequels to come back because it does remind you that no, that you know we can make fun of it all we want, but I've never been one of those people that says like, hey, that's not Star Wars. Right. Uh, I we still watch it in our annual Blue Harvest Fest. Um, we might poke fun at them, but it to me that is canon. It's part of the continuity, and I think, I think it is kind of cool to allow some of that to start to bleed over yeah. into these new films. And I think it's actually a really fun moment when you see this character show up in Rogue One, and and they do have some discussions that are referencing events from the prequels. And it's like okay, so they they're acknowledging that, and I think that's a good thing. I think in terms of how much of this prequel stuff could be fleshed out in more films, I don't know, because the prequels themselves are still pretty much just all about Anakin and Obi-Wan. Right. Um, so I don't know if there's much. It's not like I want to see a movie all about that diner from episode two or anything. Oh, you know? I, was, I would have my money in a heartbeat. <laughs> Did you see how, like, the, the robot waitress in the diner, like, even had, like... Uh, like a, a robot head kind of molded to look like a 50s waitress's Oh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think she's a... Doesn't she have, like, a pencil behind, like, her ear? I like think a, like, she does. And, like, she rolls yeah. around on one wheel. And then, like, the... The, the guys want some Jawa juice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And then the, the cook guy comes out, talks to Obi-Wan. He's got, like, a, he's got, like, a greasy, like, white t-shirt on with cooking grease all around. <laughs> no, I, I have to say, because I know you bring that up a lot, that, that scene. And I have to admit... There's, there's not, you know, I'm a, oh man, I'm a died in the wool Star Wars, even prequels lover. There's not much in the prequels that makes me kind of grit my teeth or kind of, you know, squirm in my seat. There's not much, but that scene is pretty much. Yeah, I think like the two that. lowest moments might be that, and then the two-headed uh, pod race announcer. Yeah, yep. we're oh, just like, man, that. this does not belong here at all. But although I will say, I don't think. There's really, like, it's a little sticky in the beginning of 3 when R2 is, like, rolling all around that ship that's crashing and all that. But there's really nothing that makes me kind of squirm in 3. I no, three, 3 feels like a Star Wars film to me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do enjoy that one. I, I think in terms of, like, Disney making this mistake or whatever, I think all I think Disney should be doing is instead of sitting down and thinking of, like, the safe bets to make in terms of, like, well, what's safe? Yeah. Well, we know we can make a Han Solo movie. We know we can do a Yoda movie, a Boba Fett movie. What they should do is that, look, it's obvious that we have an entire generation of filmmakers right now that grew up on Star Wars and love Star Wars. 
And I bet they all have a Star Wars idea. And what Disney should really be doing is putting out like an open call to say, hey, if you're like a, you know, a director right now with a pitch, right. come bring us a pitch and listen to all these pitches. And I guarantee you're going to hear some really cool, interesting ones. Some of them are going to be even maybe like you could do like mid budget. Um, some could be kind of smaller films. You don't need to put a lot of pressure on and just really open this up. And, you know, because I, I mean, I know Josh Sweden has said he, he'd like to make a Star Wars film. I'm sure he's not the only one. So don't like. Don't think of the idea first, then reverse engineer it. Don't come up with a concept, then go, now we have to find a writer and a director. Which Let is what they've the been doing direct- so far. Right. Let the writers and directors bring the ideas to you. Yeah. Um, I think that's the that's the key to keeping this going for years. Exactly. That segues perfectly. That was going to be my next and very last Star Wars item to discuss, was if you had a one-off in the vein of Rogue One, if you had a one-off idea for a Star Wars story, we'll say. I keep wanting to say prequel, but story. Um, me, personally, I'm very fascinated by the time periods that happen in between uh, like all the trilogies. So, like, in between Episode 3 and 4, I'm very interested in. And I'm actually very, very interested in between 6 and 7, because J.J. just fucking, you know, he made his homage, and he just fucking, whatever, you, you, you'll all figure out the backstory. You don't need anything. But in, in particular, you know, I really would love to see the fallout of Revenge of the Sith, and uh, kind of freshly after... Like, I know Rogue One obviously is, but it, it takes place literally, like, right almost concurrently with New Hope. But I would like to see a movie because we know Darth Vader, um, or Anakin as Lord Vader, he goes, he wipes out all the Separatist leaders on Mustafar. But there's obviously all these planets they were in charge of and all their people that they represent or whatever. I want to see the the like the little spillover war between all the Separatist planets and now the Empire after they realize... You know, Darth Sidious played them all and was really, you know, like, I want to see that. I want to see Vader have to hunt down the <laughs> remaining Jedi who, uh, you know, uh, survived Order 66. And most of all, like, I'm kind of fascinated by the idea of people who do very bad things in the name of thinking they're doing something good. And I think that's definitely was Anakin's downfall. He did all mm-hmm. this heinous shit thinking he was actually doing something good and creating the Empire was good and better for all and better for him personally. And then, like, I kind of want to see that where he's, you know, he's he's still new to being the cyborg Darth Vader. And, like, I actually think, you know, you could do this movie showing the fallout of the war, Vader hunting down the rest of the Jedi, and you could do this really interesting character story between Vader and Sidious and really when it is that... Vader realizes that Sidious played him completely. And also, yeah. you know, you could throw, and also, too, I kind of want to see how they phase out the clones because there's only, you know, there's only a matter of time before either they get too old to fight or they just all get killed off and whatnot. And, you know, I think you could do a movie that's really even more, just a one off, cram all this into just one movie. You know, the transition really in between three and four, I think, would be good. Yeah, I'd like to. I mean, I'd be interested in that. I also think, uh, would you use Hayden Christensen for that? I mean, I, I definitely would. Like for the scenes where yeah, Vader I, has I, his helmet I, off. And, and, you I know, know. I think. I think he said more recently that he would be willing to kind of, you know, yeah. come back if asked. And I think that part of me now, like I just said, that the thing with the, the uh, a certain actor being in Rogue One that was in the prequels is that for you know whether you agree or not, you know, you said a lot of fans don't like the prequels, mm-hmm. but 
some of these actors get kind of a bum rap because of it. And it's, right. it would be nice to see some of them get like a redemption of being allowed to come in and be in these Disney films to, again, right. kind of justify and validate their their con- contribution. And you can say whatever you want about Hayden Christensen's performance in part two, which maybe isn't that great because of the he's playing this whiny teenager that's just naturally right. annoying. But I actually thought he was very effective in episode three, particularly in the last act when he becomes Darth Vader. Yeah, um, I, I find it powerful. I, I think it's really good. And I think, I think that last act and really what he shows as an actor, to me, actually justifies the whole idea of let's do a trilogy of films about Anakin. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, if I had a one-off that I could make, um, I, well, I'll just pre- first I'll say the only kind of prequel film about a character that we've seen that I would actually be interested in is particularly an Obi-Wan film. Yeah. And that's generally just because I know Ewan McGregor wants to do it, and I love Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, and I would just I would love to see more of him in that part. Um, but really, I think what would be really cool is to go super far back, and I'm just going to give you a title um, that I thought of, and I don't, it's that kind of thing, see, now I'm doing exactly what I told Disney not to do, is I have a title, and now we'll <laughs> yeah. figure everything out. But. And then we'll make a movie around a title. Yeah, but that being said, I think a movie just called Star Wars: The First Jedi right. would be great. Just to see how did this entire you know religion yeah. space knight order start in like the the very ancient history of this this universe, um, where did, there had to be a beginning of this, and what was this universe like before all this technology showed up, before there was any kind of you know law and order? Um, what led to the creation of the Jedi? I think that'd be a fun film to to kind of get in, and then that's kind of more spared um all the little winks to the iconography that we know and love and and i oh well exactly i i'm really looking forward to getting rid of it and that's what kind of why i would like to see a movie that kind of happens right after the prequels just because there's not like we don't need to do all the wink wink nod nod to the prequel stuff because people aren't nostalgic about it <laughs> you know what i mean like we mm-hmm. can just tell the story do the movie kind of like, you know, because I know people really are digging the tone of Rogue One and his seriousness. And, like, I think in a way we could kind of, you know, maybe in a weird way, kind of salvage the prequels a little bit for people like that. It, yeah, at the same time, though, I really hope the the seriousness and the oppressive feeling of Rogue One doesn't become the norm for Star Wars. Right, right. Like, it works because it's something different and a one-off, but... We have to remember, even Empire Strikes Back, people can talk about how, you know, it's the dark one, but there's a lot of it's humor silly. in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, obviously, like I said, like, I also would like to see it happen in between six and seven. Like, I'm very interested in knowing how the Empire transitioned into the First Order. But, you mm-hmm. know, and, and like, that's kind of like, the like, as pissed as I was that J.J. pulled his mystery box or whatever, like, I kind of had a glint of hope for that backstory just in terms of... Hey, people do want to know it. People are, like, curious about it, whatever. But, like, you know, they did what they did with Rogue One. Like, you know, I hope they continue that tradition and just don't make movies that cash in on this character that sells a lot of merch or this character that's popular. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. their overall story, you know, is good. So so that's that's it. That's that's your 40 minutes of <laughs> Star Wars talk <laughs> for the holiday special. So I, I, you know, I hope we didn't bore you. But then again, Star Wars is very popular, so there, yeah, you know, there could be a lot of people who enjoy it. I enjoy talking. About it. I've been really looking forward to talking to you about it, and uh, you know, and it's, it, I don't know, like I, I think Rogue One is the cur- the curveball. You know, when Disney acquired uh, Star Wars, and we kind of were like, oh, we know where they're going with this, we know what they're going to do, and you know, they started work on a new episode and whatnot. But Rogue mm-hmm. One's kind of the curveball. That's kind of like, oh, like this is going to be one thing, and then. 
Yeah. You know, I'm seeing a lot of people being pleasantly surprised saying, you know, I don't I didn't know I ever really wanted this, but I kind of dig it. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm like I said, I'm very interested to hear what you say when you finally see it. I'm, I'm more intrigued now by the fact that George Lucas uh, reportedly said he really liked this yeah. one, um, because, like I said, to me, this one's even more kind of. Because you know he had that he had that real backhanded compliment of Force Awakens where he said, yeah. "Well, it's a movie the fans will love." Yeah. And I think this one's so guilty of that as well. But I I wonder if, and I, I mean this might sound like a slight insult, but I, I wonder if he is just more accepting of this one because this one is doing nothing but paying tribute to his ideas right. and fleshing out something he always talked about, whereas Force Awakens kind of threw his stuff aside and did their own thing. And if so, yeah. if this one's just not as offensive to him, you know. Well, yeah, I mean. You know, it, you know, and for me being whatever lifelong Star Wars fan, some of the stuff that kind of irks me about Force Awakens is that they kind of they kind of take everything from the previous movies, put it in a bag, shake it up, and then they present it in a way that's going to be more palatable to a new generation. Whereas, like, where I think with Edwards, you had this guy being like, "Yeah, my inspiration for this movie was World War II movies." So like, it, I think a lot of Lucas's re- reaction also has to do with maybe he was more on a same wavelength in terms mm-hmm. of tone and taste or just whatever with Edwards. You know, like, let, let's not underplay that part of George Lucas. Like, he, he probably just likes Gareth Edwards better, in all honesty. Yeah. <laughs> like, as a person, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. So now on, let's really get into, let's dive into the holiday stuff here. We are going to talk about our three most favorite uh, holiday movies from the 1980s. Um, how do you want to do this, Trev? Should I just do my list, you do your list, or should we break it down from three to one, like taking turns? <coughs> we could take turns. Um, All right. I, I mean, I have an introductory thing I want to say for mine, because I think it might be slightly different than yours. But uh, yeah, we could take turns. Yeah, let's take turns. Go, go ahead and get, get well, the ball so rolling. I just wanted to say, because this, this, this is always an interesting discussion, right? And I don't know, you and I didn't talk about any rules for this, no. other than you just said, hey, pick your three favorite 80s Christmas movies. And I decided for once to be fairly literal about that, because, and I, if you did this goat, I'm not going to say anything, because I, I, you know, I love <laughs> these kind of films, but... Everyone has a tendency to be like, oh, my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard, you know, right, and, right. and stuff like that. And I decided, no, and for me, that's totally true. Like, around this time of year, I, I watch Die Hard, that's I watch great. Gremlins, uh, Leave the Weapon. All these films are like ancillary Christmas films. I watched Black Christmas last night. Oh, um, yeah. Believe me, that would be on my list if it was made in the 80s. I probably would be number one yeah. on the list. Well, although, you know what? Though, you know, watching it last night, I did realize that, um, and it was, it's odd because it's like probably the like, seventh time I've seen that film. Mm. And like last night, the first night that it occurred to me, they're like, oh, this isn't a good Christmas movie at all because <laughs> right. the Christmas part of it means nothing. Like that could be happening. You could tell that story at any time of the year. The yeah. Christmas thing adds nothing to it, which is kind of, a, which is kind of weird. But, um, I guess that's true of Die Hard and, and as I, well. I, and so, yeah. I think the Christmas thing, in all honesty, it kind of provides a camouflage just to explain like why some people are missing or whatnot. Like you could kind of be like, "Well, she was going in here." Like, it, it, like just the confusion of some of the girls leaving the sorority house, some not. Like the, that's probably the best way it ties in. I think. Yeah. So I would say if you if you ask me this question normally, I would say oh, mine are like you know Die Hard, Gremlins, right. um, Silent Night, Deadly Night, stuff like that. Exactly. Um, but this time I decided for my list at least, uh, I decided to pick 
the the genuine Christmas movies I like from the eighties. So that's kind of how I took this. So I don't know if you did if you were trying to be that strict, but yeah, no, I, I yeah, I wasn't strict at all. But like, I, I have some real non non traditional ones here, but I kind of have some points on why they feel traditional to me, even though I know they're sure. really not to most people. But well, nothing, but everything can become a tradition, right? Yeah. So yeah, so so hit us with number three on your list, Trev. So my number three is going <laughs> to, right off the bat, everyone's just going to be like, oh, my, well, after that long talk, this guy's clearly an idiot. But uh, <laughs> my number three is Ernest Saves Christmas. Wow. Okay. Which, I, look, is it a great movie? No. no. But when you're trying to think of what are your genuine like Christmas movies do you watch every year, and I wouldn't even say every year, but I've certainly revisited it, I think it's a really fun movie. Now, I'm an unrepentant Ernest fan. Uh, I do enjoy the Ernest character. I, I think it's one of those characters like it, he's become it, it. There was a time definitely, uh, you know, shortly after his the movies started going with him. And, and certainly once they got into the straight to video territory where Ernest kind of became shorthand for bad movies. And I really wish I got to sound so dumb. I know, but I really wish there could be somewhat of a like slight critical reevaluation of Ernest as a character, because I there was agree. just like this. There's just this like charming child not, like simplicity to him that made really fun you know innocent family films and Ernest Saves Christmas is actually one where it's you know the most well I wouldn't say the most fantasy driven one because we have Ernest Scared Stupid where he's fighting trolls but this one is very fantasy driven it's about you know um, Santa Claus uh, realizing his time is up and having to choose a replacement to take over Santa Claus. And he chooses this kind of TV actor who is kind of fighting the idea of this new responsibility. And Ernest is just kind of the side character in, in it all trying to help Santa convince this guy to take over. But it's like actually a kind of a sweet story with this like, you know, uh, nice childlike um, wonder about the concept of Santa Claus to it. And like, it's pretty dumb. It's, it's not great. But I like it. It's fun. Um, and I, I think it's a, a nice family film for this time of year. I agree. And uh, uh, before I drop my number three, I just wanted to say I think that bad rap that Ernest got and gets. And, and let's be fair, like the Ernest movies do dip up and down in terms of quality. You know, oh, Of course. You know, but I think it's really just because uh, they were doing the whole direct video thing before it was really seen as a quote unquote normal thing. So mm-hmm. they were they were just like, oh, this. You know, people would go to the video store, oh, there's some Ernest movie. I don't remember this. This, you know, I don't remember seeing, you know, previews for this at the theater and stuff. And it's just like, you know, like they were really smart. They probably made more profit doing that, you know. But I also think there's there's something about Ernest that we don't really have to. Well, I guess Medea is like the closest, like modern version of it. But like a comedic character that can be dropped into multiple kinds of films and scenarios. And it's just the character that's the through line. And I think that's something that's you have that with Ernest and with Pee Wee, um, and I, I, it's something I wish we had more of. No, I I agree completely. Um, number three on my list uh, is Less Than Zero. Uh, mm-hmm. I know people are going Less Than Zero. Isn't the movie where Iron Man like blows a guy for crack or whatever? <laughs> like how is that a Christmas movie? Well, this the, you know, and keep in mind, Less Than Zero the book is a completely different thing than Less Than Zero the movie. A uh, Less Than Zero the movie. It's set at Christmas over the course of a Christmas break. Uh, Andrew McCarthy Clay, uh, he goes home to find his best friends from um, high school, uh, Julian and Claire. Uh, his, you know, Claire was kind of his girlfriend. Julian was, you know, his best friend since they were like five years old or whatever. He become vastly addicted to drugs or whatever. And it's, you know, it's basically a movie about trying to save someone 
out of the goodness of your heart and trying to do whatever, you know, like they basically spend the whole movie trying to save Robert Downey Jr. And just kind of, though, you know, obviously the cinematography and the settings, they go to like a lot of, you know, Christmas, extreme Christmas parties. And just like, you really do feel the atmosphere that this is a Christmas set movie, but the theme of trying to save your friend and, in a lot of weird ways, like, to me, when I watch this movie now and with the Christmas theme into it, it really comes off to me as almost a modern-day version of a Christmas, like, an updated version of A Christmas Carol. I mean, honestly, because, like, you know, you have these flashbacks of what they were like in high school, kind of, and then kind of where they are now as young adults. And I think it's just a good movie about growing up and, like, the Christmas theme really does come into play with, like you know, the characters moving into the future and leaving the past behind. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know. It just it, it really does play as a real Christmas t- movie to me. And it's obviously it has a very sad ending, so you don't really have the It's a Wonderful Life. But it's like, yeah, it's kind of like a mix to me in my mind of A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life and people kind of waking up, you know, because you have the Julian character who's lost. You know, literally, he dies. And then you have clay left with claire there and clearly you know his hope is that claire doesn't end up with julian like i don't know it's it's a, it's, it's a weird way I'll, I'll say robert downey jr is a pole smoking angel in a way in the film because so. <laughs> he sets the example of not what to do for the future so yeah i'm going with less than zero it, it's a it's a legit christmas film in my mind so cool all right so for speaking of modern day uh updated versions of a christmas carol my number two is 1988's scrooged oh yeah um so christmas carols you know it's a great story like dickens really uh knew what he was doing with that one because it's been adapted so many times and there's so many good versions i mean i love the mickey mouse christmas carol uh the muppets christmas carol is another one i really like um of course the old alistair sims one but i mean scrooged um is just a great combination of taking a classic tale and just unleashing Bill Murray at his prime, right? Like the the anarchic uh, humor of Bill Murray Probably into it. Probably the end of his prime, wouldn't you say? Probably. Like, uh, like I, mean, ca- I mean, other than maybe Groundhog Day, like that, yeah, that film's I'd say capper, Groundhog Day is like, yeah. the, you know, then there's like the, kind of that last little gasp of uh, Kingpin where it's like, yeah. oh, man, maybe he's coming back. But it didn't quite, yeah. you know. Not that version of Bill Murray, at least. I mean, I, I actually do enjoy his later move into more dramatic comedy but oh, I do too. Scrooge, Scrooge definitely reminds you of, you know, the, the Bill Murray we loved in the 80s. Um, and here he plays, you know, Frank Cross, who's this kind of, you know, network executive for a uh, this TV station. that's kind of really puts the emphasis on, you know, blood and sex and everything. And he's planning a, a live production of A Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve. And he's very much a Scrooge character. You know, he treats his employees like crap. Um, his version of a Christmas Carol is really going to take out the heart of the story and be all about, you know, having sexy dancers and, and violence. And on Christmas Eve, he's visited by the three ghosts from a Christmas Carol. And I think these are really fun versions of them. Uh, the ghost of Christmas past is the great uh, D- uh, David Johansson. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Buster, Buster Poison. Yeah. Hot, yeah. Hot, hot, hot. Playing this kind of just old, like, you know, Bronx, like, taxi cab driver. Um, for the Ghost of Christmas Present, we have Carol Kane, who's always entertaining. And then, actually, the Ghost of Christmas Future in this is actually, I think, kind of terrifying when you're a kid. Uh, they, this, like, really cool, it's like a grim, you know, they do the Grim Reaper thing. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how they do it, like, where when you look inside his cloak, there's actually, like, TV screens. I thought that was really yeah. cool. Um, it, it, almost, it almost looks like an effect that, like, could have been in Ghostbusters 3 if they ever made it. Yeah, you yeah. Know? 
And it's directed by Richard Donner. And I mean, for being, you know, like a, um, you know, just like a, uh, a small comedy, there's actually some really cool visual stuff in this that, and it feels kind of like, you know, big budget. And even like when his, his Jacob Marley character is his, uh, his old mentor, and I remember him just having this like really cool, like kind of zombieish makeup, mm-hmm. and them doing some really cool stuff with him falling apart and things like that. Um, but I, I, I think it's a really fun film. It's a, it's one of my favorite versions of a Christmas Carol, and it's uh, again, it's not one I watch every year, but maybe every other year or so I, I revisit yeah. it because it's nice to kind of forget some of the jokes. Um, there's a lot of great stuff here, man. Bobcat Goldthwaite is great in this. Um, Karen Allen is always like I. The, Karen Allen in the '80s is. Uh, such a great screen presence. It's, I'm just always excited to see her too, and so that's my that's my number two. Yeah, it it really feels like the last great like. I mean, there's some really good comedies in the '90s too. I don't want to downplay it, but there was a time. You know, there's a time in the early '80s. I'll say where all comedies, no matter who was in them, they're all fairly low budget affairs. And you know, there was a couple movies. Definitely, Ghostbusters influenced that. But I feel like, in a way, like Scrooge was like one of the last, like really big budget comedies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I think I just looked it up, and it was a bunch of thirty-two yeah, uh, million, which is which is a lot for an eighties comedy. Yeah. So yeah. Also, another footnote because uh, you brought up David Johansson. I think another performance of David Johansson's uh, that's like really underrated because it's so fun to watch, but nobody really ever brings it up is remember his little part in Tales from the Dark Side? Oh the, yeah, the mobster hitman man. Like, like that's some real acting there to be carrying a segment all by yourself and all you have is like a a rubber cat to chase around. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I don't think he ever, I think he was definitely more into music, so he never really yeah. pr- pursued acting as far as he could have, but I think he's got a really interesting, like, screen presence and charisma, oh, um, and I, I f- wish there yeah. was more with him. Yeah, and I, th- I think a lot of the directors and whatnot kind of just pulled him into acting, because, uh, well, definitely the Buster Poinsett character really was like a character that was out there, but yeah. even before that, I think... A lot of the people gravitate him just because the New York Dolls were such like a big. Yeah, movie. I was just about to say I feel bad that anytime he gets brought up, we but even you and I both were like, "Ha, Buster Poindexter." Yeah. But really, go back and listen to the New York Dolls. That's yeah. what. And just his stage presence as the front man and all that. Yeah. So number two, and I really debated about putting this on here or not, even though it's one of my favorite movies of all time. This might seem like what we were talking about before, taking the easy way out. Like it's not quite Die Hard, but Gremlins. I have as my number two, and that's a very easy, like, you know, oh, that's yeah, a great but, Christmas uh, movie. We, but I'm not going to dispute it. <laughs> no, but, like, the thing about it is, is, like, the more, like, I get into it, and you and you know me, Trev, man, I'm looking, I'm looking for the hidden meanings in The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, so, of course, I'm going to find the hidden meanings in Gremlins, and uh, I just think it works as a legit Christmas movie, because, you know, you have the whole... First of all, you have the whole thing of giving gifts, like the Mogwai Gizmo. Uh, he is a gift. You have that whole thing. But I think it's more important, you know, holidays. You know, everybody celebrates something different. Um, you know, all these different holidays that are in religions, whatnot. And, like, kind of the main theme and kind of like the main lesson of um, Gremlins, really, it's, it's, it's not so much... I mean, obviously, you have the literal whatever that you didn't obey the Mogwai rules or whatever, but it's really that they didn't obey the uh, the you know the, the the Chinese culture or whatever of you know, the old man who runs the shop because even his young kind of westernized whatever 
grandson wearing the Yankees cap and shit or whatever he was wearing, like he sells the Mogwai, you know, and it's, I think there's some real, uh, you know, subtext there about, you know, disrespecting ancient traditions and like, it even kind of plays a little bit because like, you know, you know, it's not just like a Christmas movie up until the point the gremlins are hatched and then, oh, it's a gremlins movie. I mean, like you, you, they still carry the complete Christmas theme even once the gremlins are unlocked. I mean, like a scene that comes to mind is like when the gremlins like, you know, mockingly do their own version of Christmas caroling and it's just kind of like, you know, in like all the different ways they dress up and different outfits and shit. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think they did a good job of like really keeping the Christmas theme all the way through. And then the end, obviously when it's all finished and whatnot, it's really about redemption and, uh, you know, and obviously the most important thing is that they give the Mogwai back to the, the, the old man and whatnot. And it's kind of like, you know, peace and whatever is, is restored because, you know, we respect the ancient traditions again. It was, you know, it really is a morality tale, whatnot. So, I mean, I definitely think with that, that hard lesson in there. I mean, obviously when you're a kid, all you care about is Mogwai's running around and whatnot. But I don't know, like when I watch it now as a much older person, obviously, than the first time I seen it. Um, I don't know, like, I just get a lot more richness out of it, and a lot more subtext, and, you know, really enjoy it, and really do consider it a holiday m- movie proper, not just, you know, I love all the, uh, the holiday settings, Christmas settings, whatever, of, uh, the Shane Black movies, and they're fun to watch around Christmas time, but, like, it's, it's hard to really, they never really feel like Christmas movies to me, like, like, it's cool that Iron Man 3, like, they have that giant teddy bear that they blow up and shit, but, like, I never really, when it's cold and whatever in December, I never really hanker to watch Iron Man 3, but I do hanker to watch Gremlins. <laughs> well, I think that's, I think part of that is that, so Shane Black has this Christmas fetish, but he also has an L.A. Uh, fetish. Right. Um, and so his Christmas movies are always kind of in warm weather climates where you don't Ooh. have the snow. And I mean, I, I understand that for a large part of the country, that just is Christmas. But for those of us who, you know, grew up in snowy climates, right. Christmas is a certain there's a certain look to it. And I love the look of the town in Gremlins. Yeah. Um, uh, even the, the fact that, you know, it's kind of like the thing where, you know, you think this would come in later as Gremlins sequels. It's like, oh, now we've got these characters. Now we'll start dressing them up. But they they just jump right into that here. And they're all wearing like scarves yeah. and Christmas hats. And, yeah. and, I, and I love that touch to it, you know. Um, yeah, I, I look. I, hey, I would never dispute putting Gremlins on there because it's definitely an annual December watch for me. I'm actually really excited because I just got the new um, Mondo vinyl release of the soundtrack. Oh, nice! Um, and I because I love that score. That's great. And uh, I don't know if you said like the vinyl is really cool. If you take it out into the sun, the cover actually changes. Really? And then and then the record sleeves themselves. If you wipe them with water, they change. Wow, um, I didn't know. that. I don't know what happens if you feed it after midnight, but <laughs> it turns into a CD. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no i do love it i do want to ask you really quickly though goat because this is uh, always uh not i won't say a bone of contention but it's a, oh. a, a one of those nice fun debates where there's no wrong answer but are you do you like gremlins more or do you like gremlins 2 more i like gremlins more i understand because i'm a gremlins 2 guy I right admit. right i understand the the appeal of of Gremlins 2, like, as a movie, like, I think Gremlins 2 plays a lot better when you're older, kind of, because you kind of get the references, and you kind of understand, and obviously, you know, we love guys like Joe Dante, who, you know, these great cult directors paying tribute to the past, but 
there's something about Gremlins too, and I I, I love uh, Donald Clamp and all that shit, especially now it plays even yeah. you know. But I, there's just something about the warmth and the atmosphere of the first Gremlins movie, like all the, like almost all the locations, <coughs> and it's all backlocked shit. I mean, totally, but like all the locations, they're just so iconic to me. Like I like I I accept Gremlins more. Uh, how should I say? in a more heartfelt way because it's a it's a more of a full round experience yeah where gremlins 2 is like it's sending up the idea of sequels and there's a lot of yeah. nudge nudge wink wink i mean i love it like you know it's you know i i loved it when it came out as a kid i had all the little figurines just like i did with the first gremlins and all that but it's you know if i could only watch one like if i had a pick to only i could only watch one till the end of time i would definitely pick one over two okay but yeah, but I will not throw shade on it, and I think the the whole whatever the whole like movie scene in part two that plays differently, whether it's in the theater yeah. or on the tape, I thought that was brilliant, like really yeah. brilliant. I even had uh, I had the novelization of that, and uh, I do too. the novel <laughs> the novelization yeah. does something kind of interesting in that part where the brain gremlin actually takes the book over. Yep, I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, cool. Uh, so my number one, I think. I could be wrong about this, but I think in general, um, there's two kinds of Christmas movie fans. And I think everyone is either a Christmas um, a Christmas story kind of person. No, oh, I love her, yeah. Or a National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation person. Oh, that's tough. I love both. And I do love both. Uh, I really do enjoy Christmas Story. But I will say, I think, you know, we look, this is the old tradition of Christmas Story, right? The fact that Christmas Story used to be on for like 48 hours straight <laughs> on TPS <laughs> and TNT. Yeah. Do they still do that? Um, do they still like, do it, yeah. Yeah, every year growing up. I mean, it's just... I, I like it. I like it a lot, but it certainly got to a point where I was like, man, I might yeah. never watch this again. Yeah. So my number one is uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which I, I absolutely love. Um, a definite, like I try to get it in every year. It's actually my favorite of the vacation series. I think it's better than the first one. That might, I don't know if that's controversial or not. Um, but I just think it's such a great film. And it's, it's, you know, it's again, this, we're just talking about Bill Murray. This is definitely like near the end of Chevy Chase as yeah. a, as a, force um because the only, the only one he really did after that right was uh funny farm and i don't know funny farm i don't know yeah. it, 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 i don't remember much about funny farms so that yeah, probably tells you something yeah it's it's very middle of the road for yeah for, i mean i do like i do like vegas vacation but that was even that was kind of years later and yeah um, vegas, vegas vacation to me rings a little hollow because i feel like it's like really toned down from the original series but it is but me. it's still got some moments i like um but uh <laughs> I, I do love Christmas Vacation. I think it's – and it is just kind of that um, – there's not so much a plot, right? There's a slight through line that runs through it about him waiting for this Christmas bonus. Yeah. But but I kind of like these kind of these kind of comedies where they're not worried about a story as much as it's, hey, just get a bunch of funny characters together, throw them in a house for a week, and just let it be a, a collection of wacky scenes. And that's really what this is. It's just kind of more – Oh, here's one comedic scenario. That's great. Now let's move on to the next one. And it's a great use of Joey Chase's talents and especially uh, Randy Quaid back before he was insane and on the run in Canada. And Um, and doing bad porn. Yeah. Or what he's great. Obviously, his cousin Eddie. Um, And just so many, so many iconic lines and moments in this movie for me. Uh, I just noticed it has a score by Angelo Badalamente, which is the strangest thing. (laughs) It is um, weird. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so 
I that's definitely my number one if I'm thinking of like what's my number one real Christmas movie because I this definitely feels obviously this is all about Christmas you know the oh, fact it's, of it's great. how frustrating it is to spend time with their family but how you're still kind of you still kind of love each other and come together when it matters yeah I, I will say uh, one good thing about where I live now um, even though the theaters completely suck is is we have a we have an old rundown cheap theater and every December, pretty much, they pick a different old movie just to run for, like, a week. Like, just straight up, just run it. And, like, it's always, like, Home Alone and a couple other things. And, and uh, uh, Lampoon Christmas Vacation is one of the movies. And, like, I hadn't seen it since I was, like, I don't think I had, I'd seen parts of it on cable, but I literally don't think I had seen it all the way through since I saw it with my parents in the theater as a kid. And me and my girlfriend went a couple, I think it was two Christmas ago, and saw it in the theater and a big crowd and you know, great crowd and, and just like, man, like it really, you know, not to say there's not funny movies now and all that, but like, I don't know, like there's, there's nothing like them older comedies actually seeing it with a crowd. It's, it's, it's fucking great. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so yeah. And, and I even have the, uh, cause my favorite part of the movie is when they go get the Christmas tree at the beginning. <laughs> I actually mm-hmm. have the T-shirt you probably seen at Kohl's. They probably sell, they sell it like every fucking year. But I have that T-shirt that has the station wagon with the giant fucking tree on it. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, this it, is it, good. I actually went number one for uh, my favorite holiday movie. This is a new tradition to me. When I say new, probably within the last four years, and I am talking about Nutcracker the Motion Picture. Um, wow. I remember when this came out when I was a kid. I just remember it. I never saw it, never went anything. And uh, uh, my girlfriend, um, she loved it ever since she was a kid in this version. And, uh, like, just really loved this version. Like, Craig, and I never knew much about it. So we got a, we, we ordered up a couple years ago one of those MGM, like, made-on-demand DVDs. You know how they do that? Like, those limited mm-hmm. edition ones. And Nutcracker is one of those. And we watched it. And what I didn't know about it, and what's very cool about it, is um it this version is actually a version produced uh i believe in portland is where they filmed it um yeah it's like the uh the pacific northwest ballet right yeah yeah. and what's cool about is this is actually a version of nutcracker that is a collaboration with marie sendak who uh did uh, where the wild things are and all that so all the costumes all the creatures they're all based on kind of marie sendak uh, you know it's kind of like you know his version or so to speak and it's really cool because the movie mixes in like live performance of the ballet like i don't know if they it's not really like watching the stage play because i I don't think you really like notice the crowd or they don't show the crowd. It's just that they film it on the stage, but then they have a lot more of the quote unquote movie, you know, movie aspects. Like there's a lot of scenes that then cut in that are obviously filmed in a more movie like way. And like, there's just a great, like the, like the toy maker guy. Like, I don't know who it is, but I swear, man, it reminds me so much of Christmas Glover and the designs and stuff. And, uh, just a story and the, the, um, the mouse and all this shit like it's it's insanely creative like i'm i'm kind of surprised that it's not one of those christmas story type deals where they don't play it on tv like all year like i, I was pretty shocked that i went all the way up until like my mid-30s and like never seen it and uh well if nothing else it feels like it should be a cult film yeah. in the way stuff like um 
well, these are odd examples, but in the way like Gilliam films kind of are, because mm-hmm. it has that kind of, you know, interesting, like you yeah. said, like the creatures look very um, just strange Fantastic, and bizarre. Yeah. And you'd think like the same people who are obsessed with, you know, like Baron Munchausen and <laughs> like Time Bandits and or even something like Labyrinth, you know, Labyrinth is probably a better example. Like, it why isn't feel, that? Yeah. yeah. Like, why isn't why doesn't it have that kind of cult following? No. Yeah. I mean, to at least come out. But, but yeah, it's it's pretty much well forgotten. Um I can't remember, like, when you put it in the DVD, it might have even been, like, like a Canon or Golden Globus release. Like, it was, like, very, like... But when you watch it, you know, because we were talking about the whole Star Wars practical effects thing, like... I mean, we watch it every year on Christmas. It's kind of our ritual after we open our presents. We put on the Nutcracker, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's, like, it's it's pretty amazing what is what can be achieved all with, you know, all, old, you know, old-time camera tricks, sets, costumes, whatever. It's really impressive. I mean, I'm not even, like, a big ballet person honestly like the just the whatever ballet but the way you kind of see the way they use you know like with the ballet to tell the story like it you know it's it's really you know it's really a real deal kind of holiday experience so yeah so that version of the nutcracker is uh is is, definitely hits the spot for me cool all right so let us know what your favorite uh holiday movies are uh, you can hit us up, um, 1980smoviegraver at gmail.com. Hit us on the Twitter, whatever you want to do. Uh, and then to cap it off, to end this, talk about <laughs> movies we always wanted to see. And I think the number one unseen 80s you know, holiday film, Christmas film that I have not seen, <coughs> Trev, and I just heard about this movie literally a couple of years ago from a horror podcast, is, do you, have you heard of this movie called Elves? Very low. Oh budget yeah, I've seen now with Dan Haggard. Yeah, I've always wanted yeah. to see this. I'm taking it. It's like a Gremlins ripoff. It's got a great. Oh yeah. It's got a great poster of like a president with a Gremlin type arm bursting out of it. I've heard it's very funny. I heard it's very you know whatever you know. But yeah, I really want to see Elves, which is apparently like, like what is the um, basically the gist of it? Is it just that these de- these small demonic elf creatures run amok? Yeah, it's uh, they're actually they're it's they're actually like um, they were created by uh, Nazis. Okay. Yeah, it's like there's a whole like Nazi thing that the Nazis created the elves, and they're supposed to be carrying out um, Hitler's like uh, plans. Um, it's I'm, yeah, so it actually has a whole like uh, World War Two horror thing to it. Um, but uh, it, it's great. I mean, it, oh, well, <laughs> no, great. It, yeah, it, it, you know what I mean. It, it's great in a way that it probably should be released on Blu-ray by Vinegar Syndrome. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just a it's a real fun film. It's a yeah. total blast to watch um, if you're into that kind of you know cheesy B movies. Um, and Dan Haggerty, I mean, it's, I, Dan Haggerty is such a great like. Um, Again, I keep using great in like exactly the wrong way, <laughs> but yeah. I, I'm a big fan of Dan Haggerty in those kind of like dumb, uh, cheesy horror movies. There's and another great one. He's like a drunk in it too, doesn't he? Well, I think he's just kind of always. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the synopsis is that he's an ex-cop uh, who lost his badge. Yeah, no, right. I think it's like even the same. It might be the same year. Like one year later, he made another great film called The Chilling, okay. uh, which is a, a, a movie about. Um, you know, at the time, like at the late 80s, that's when people were starting to talk about kind of when you die, freezing your body to uh, in case they like, can right. cure the disease later, you know. And it's about that and they're freezing people, but they start kind of coming out as like zombies. Um, 
And that's so that's another great drunken Dan Haggerty as an action hero horror film. So those would probably make a great double bill, actually. Elves and the Chili. But yeah, uh, Elves um, from 1989, according to Wikipedia, you know, the last release was VHS. So no DVD, no blue. I hope that changes. Uh, yeah, that's kind of crazy, actually. That seems like something that is due for oh, big time. Uh, Vinegar or Synapse or somebody yeah. to get on that. <laughs> Uh, so the mine is, uh, again, this is not really something I've always wanted to see. It's more that when you asked me to think of something I wanted to see, I started looking up Christmas films and saying, oh, what haven't I seen? And I came upon one that, damn, this sounds like something I need to see. It's actually a 1986 made-for-television film called A Smoky Mountain Christmas, starring <laughs> Dolly Parton and Lee Majors. <laughs> and uh, directed by Henry Winkler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you seen this? I have. I I, re- oh, I remember watching it with um with my mom. I do. And uh well, see, and I think I like I love Dolly Parton. Uh I'm, I'm a fan of her music. I also think she actually is a really good uh actress. Um yeah. again, she just has this kind of great natural charisma. 9 to 5, she's great in. Um, and this just sounds like, so I'm reading, I mean, you obviously know this, but I'm reading the plot description and she's a, a country music superstar who kind of goes on the run, um, okay. to try to get away from it all. And she ends up at a, a cabin in the Smoky Mountains and there's these seven orphans living in there. So it's like a takeoff on Snow White, but I'll, I'll just read the paragraph that <laughs> sealed the deal. I mean, needing to see this, it says, uh, her, so her name is Lorna Davis and it says, little does she know Lorna has been followed there by Harry played by Dan Hadaya. A sleazy and enterprising paparazzo who's determined to reveal her location. Right. In addition to him, she faces Jezebel, a mountain witch woman who's determined to kill her for attracting the eye of her lover, John Jensen, played by Bo Hopkins. And she is saved from Jezebel's first attempt on her life by Mountain Dan, played by Lee Majors, a wandering mountain man who is wise in the ways of mountain folk. And I just I read that paragraph and I was like, I need to see this movie. Yeah, it's it, it's it's I don't know. It's it, it's good in the way again, like elves, it's good yeah. in the way you think it's good. But right. like we said, like, you know, I'm not even like a country music person and like I'm a big Dolly Parton fan, like of mm-hmm. you know, her acting and her movie roles. Like she's just, you know, a beautiful woman, but like she just I don't know. She there is something literally magical about her as a person. Like she's so oh, yeah. charming. She's so easy to watch. And I mean, this film is complete dreck. But I rem- I actually remember sitting down. And you know, I didn't see it first run. This is probably um, like me and my mom watched it. It was like syndicated Sunday afternoon, probably eight years after it originally was out. And like, yeah, and and, and there, there's the great Christmas. You know, she, she, you know, cause the orphans, like they're so sad and shit. She puts on a Christmas for them and like, you know, cause she's like the rich woman and shit. And, and like, like she gives them like pine cones and shit for Christmas. <laughs> I remember, I remember my mom being pissed saying like, what is she doing? She has money. Like get, get them toys. Get them something. I was like, I, I, I remember being like, yeah, well, I mean, she, you know, just a hillbilly Christmas. My mom was like. They've had these orphans have had enough hillbilly Christmases already. <laughs> Give them something good. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's actually kind of weird that like two movies that like aren't movies you can really like go out and buy or easily get a hold of. Yeah. We picked. well, I did just discover that not surprisingly, a Smoky Mountain Christmas is available on YouTube. So is it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sure, I, the fact sure that I haven't seen it too. Yeah, the fact that I haven't seen it will quickly be remedied here. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think you'll like it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just it's just kind of spooky that we both picked movies that we wanted to see, but the other one had seen, even yeah. other, you know. 
But yeah, so so thanks a lot everybody for, you know, a year of listening, uh, you know, the download numbers, even recently, you know, we, we took uh, November off because we pumped out all those uh, Halloween episodes, October episodes, uh, you guys, are, looks like you're still catching up, so, so, you know, thanks for just keep supporting us and all that, um, check out our website, 1980smoviegraveyard.com, you'll get all kinds of movie news and shit, it's almost like a movie news reservoir run by the one and only Corey g all kinds of interesting stuff we we actually we've had some contests where we've been giving away some dvds and stuff uh cory's been running those contests uh companies have been uh giving movies for us to give out so i mean go over there like you might you might win some shit if you enter the contest am i eligible for these contests or as a part-time grave digger is this like the thing where i can't be in the you know what like I don't know, like, in all honesty, because, like, usually the way the contests work <coughs> is, um, the, um, the, like, the whatever, well, I guess maybe you're not eligible. I was gonna say, Corey picks the winners, like, randomly, but mm-hmm. then, but then usually, like, I don't know, like, 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 in some cases, like, the actual companies mail the shit out, so I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, all right, I'm just, I'm always looking for free DVDs, but I, I guess back, back to plain old robbery it is. <laughs> plain old robbery it is. But no, yeah, for the, that, but that is, if you're ineligible, that's good news for the listeners. They, you know, yeah. they, they could win or whatever. But yeah, so thanks everybody. Trev, obviously, thank you for, you know, really stepping up to the plate here and becoming, you know, more than even a part time grave digger. So much fun, man, doing all these episodes and whatever with you. Yeah. And, um, we got another one coming up, special one. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, even though like I see you on the Skype here, you you got your Christmas tree, you got your pile of candy canes there, and you're still wearing a hockey mask, <laughs> like always, always. <laughs> you know, since since you are such a big Friday Thirteenth fan, and if a lot of people don't know this, and maybe you wouldn't unless you just stare at the calendar like me, is uh, we have a Friday the Thirteenth coming up here in January. So in a couple weeks, that's right. Uh, sneak peek here, fans. Uh, we will be covering the first film in the um, uh, Friday the Thirteenth franchise, Friday the Thirteenth. I think we, I think it came out as a pretty good episode. We went pretty in depth and we talked a lot about the series overall. So, mm-hmm. if you're a Friday the Thirteenth fan of either the original movie or just the whole franchise in general, I think you will want to be here in a couple weeks on Friday, January thirteenth, twenty seventeen. Yeah. So yeah. So again, Trev, thanks a lot, man. No problem. Uh, I hope everyone, no matter what you celebrate, has a good holiday. Yeah, have a great holiday. And uh, I, I know me, personally, I'll be really celebrating hard the fact that I have them off days off work because I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a grueling year. Lots of travel, lots of shit. But, uh, but yeah, so thank you, Trev. Thank you, everybody. And we will be back with uh, uh, not a hockey mask, but... <laughs> A kind older woman in a, in yeah, a, sweater. a knit sweater. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So thanks a lot, everybody, and we'll catch you next time in the graveyard. <laughs>